0: Hey, the Lord be with you, Fellowship Church. We gather today again this morning on the first day of the week to center ourselves around God's story, around your story, around my story, and ultimately the story that God is writing in and through uh, us as a community at Fellowship Church We continue in that journey through the biblical story in the book of Exodus this morning, and we've hopscotched from uh, the calling of Moses uh, to after the Israelites have been delivered out of uh, the bondage in Egypt. And Moses gathers the people of Israel together, and God says through Moses this, "'I am the Lord your God, "'who brought you out of Egypt, "'out of the house of slavery,' and for the sake of fellowship, fellowship with one another and with God. As we gather here today, let us worship the Lord who continues to be our God, who continues to bring us from our places of bondage into fellowship with one another and with him. Let us stand and worship the God of deliverance.
1: Using the words on the screen, I will speak the white words and you can respond as the congregation in the yellow orange words. Let's pray together. Loving Creator, we thank you for the ways that you have uniquely equipped each person to serve in your kingdom. Like puzzle pieces that together form a picture of the whole family of God, we fill each other's gaps and receive the gift of each other's strengths. Hear these our prayers for all your people the sheep of your pasture. Lord, in your mercy, help us to value one another's strengths and weaknesses, knowing we are your lost sheep that have been found. For those whose physical eyesight is not clear and for those who do not see another's need, Lord, in your mercy, help us to see you and each other for those whose mobility is limited, and for those whose pace is fast and rarely stilled. Lord, in your mercy, help us to move in step with your spirit. For those who cannot discern sounds from the world around them, and for those who do not hear your voice or the cries of those in pain, Lord, in your mercy, help us to hear you and each other. For those whose brains process information at a slower pace, and for those whose brains are overtaxed, moving at lightning speed. Lord, in your mercy, help us to see and learn from you. For those whose spirits are heavily downcast and cannot seem to be lightened, and for those who do many things to avoid any emotional pain, Lord, in your mercy, help us to know and experience you in all the joys and sorrows of life. For those who cannot express themselves easily with words, and for those who speak too quickly before listening, Lord, in your mercy, help us to communicate to others the grace and love you have shown us in Jesus. Good Shepherd, we thank you that you do not expect us to be independent from each other Or from you Lord in your mercy help us to humbly follow you together trusting your provision and in faithful service of your kingdom and we continue to pray with the words that Jesus taught us to pray our Father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven Give us today our daily bread, our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated.
2: Well, I'm Bev Michelson, and my husband, who's not here, Jack. we um, <laughs> he originally from Holland. My kids were going here, and so we started to come. And then the pandemic hit, and bam, you were online, live stream. We felt like we could continue with the home connection. I started as this super Christian, teenager and everything was great and i got married and had three beautiful children um, was a youth leader uh, sang in church played for the choir and brokenness started to happen in my life physical brokenness emotional brokenness i messed up and i also had brokenness in my spiritual life I was a stubborn person who could handle every problem. Circumstances happened in the brokenness. My vision was taken away from me. Um, And pain and a misdiagnosis of 10 years of having MS. Heavily medicated and unable to walk without the aid of a cane. Um, Jack brought me to Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. And there was one testing that You couldn't be anesthetized and it was incredibly painful. And at that point, I put my hand out and I asked God to be with me. And I felt a cool breath of air and I didn't feel the rest of the test. The diagnosis was not a good one. Uh, Longevity wasn't in the cards. Um, A wheelchair was next. And all the way home, I kept praying God, I no longer am this tough person and I can't handle this on my own, so use me. So I asked God to work through me. God put people in the right place at the right time. I wrote music, sang, and spoke about my illness. I wanted to know what predominantly death would look like, and I started working with hospice and started caring for other people. As I cared for other people, I found myself healing. God took my feeling away from my hands and my arms and my feet and my legs, but he put it in my heart. So my vision, because of circumstances, was taken away from me, And, but God opened my eyes. The verse that screams at me is from Thessalonians 5.18, where we praise God, we pray continually, and we are to be thankful in every circumstance. How can you be thankful in every circumstance? And I am thankful that I'm sick. I'm thankful that all the things that I've been through because now I have it in my heart and I can feel and empathize and sympathize with people. There are two songs that resonate for me. One is Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. Another one is, it is well with my soul. And no matter what is happening with us, God has said to us, it is well. It is well. It is well with my soul.
1: Christ, the peace of Christ be with you. you. Would you share a sign of that peace with your neighbor?
0: Well, peace certainly to be with you, Fellowship Church. Good morning, my name is Nate Skipper and I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community, centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are new or visiting with us, welcome. We are glad that you are here. If you would like to let us know that you are here uh, and that we might reach out to you, uh, we encourage you to fill out these Fellowship Connection cards that are uh, at the backs of the sanctuary doors uh, and also at the Welcome Center so that we might be able to uh, get to know you a little bit better. As an accepting community, one of the things uh, that we try to do is welcome people with all physical and uh, mental capacities. Regardless of where you come from or where you've been, you are welcome here. And one way in which we do that is by highlighting every single week in the bottom of our worship order a little statement about being an all belong church, which is an initiative of our denomination that helps us to remember uh, to create a space and environment that's accessible for people of all abilities. And so we are grateful for the chance to do that, and uh, we hope to be more hospitable. If you have ways in which we can do better at that, we encourage you uh, to let us know couple of uh, announcements uh, this morning that I'd like to invite you to join in on. Is, first is this evening we're going to have a worship night uh, right here in the space, which obviously we worship every Sunday morning. You know, we're not going to bring back necessarily Sunday night worship every week, but uh, this week you can come back and we're going to have an extended time of praise and song, uh, followed by not just praise and song, but we also have cider and donuts. I mean, can it get any better than that? So join us uh, this evening Sunday uh, at 6.30 p.m. Also, just want to highlight another little note in the bulletin that each week uh, in the month of October, we are going to be uh, having workshops around mental health. This will be taking an issue uh, that is related to mental health and talking about it as it relates to our Christian faith. Uh, We encourage you to consider one of those. There's a line up in the bulletin or in the email, I should say, Uh, but that is every Sunday morning uh, right now during this service from 10.30 to 11.30. And finally I'd like to invite you to join in as we pray for some significant things happening this week. Uh, first is uh, that we are anticipating sometime in the next week or two a refugee family uh, from Afghanistan to be re- resettled in Holland and we have a team of folks that are getting ready for that and we anticipate them coming anytime we don't have a plane uh, arrival time yet, uh, but that will be soon so I' uh, we'll be praying for that family and then also uh, this week uh, begins uh, an annual meeting of our denomination, which is a churchy word. That means that our church is a part of a greater church. Uh, A a number of local congregations make up what we call the Reformed Church in America. And this week is the beginning of our annual meeting that was postponed from last summer to this summer and postponed from this summer to this fall. And there's some significant things happening uh, at that meeting. And so we encourage you to be praying uh, for our general synod gathering. You know, if you haven't noticed, we we come up on these announcement times, and we have a lot to share, a lot of cool things happening. We have a weekly email with all, even more cool things, and we have a bulletin with some cool things. And every single week, we have to decide, how are we going to fit everything in, in the announcements, or in the bulletin, or in the weekly email? So we go through a, uh, what's the right word, a significant, or what's the word? Stringent, that's the word I was looking for, thank you. A stringent process to discern what things get highlighted. First, we do thumb wrestling between the staff person that wants which one, and then we do the stare down, and then we finally end with, no, I'm just kidding, in all seriousness. It's been uh, what a contrast uh, to a year ago from today when there were uh, so few things happening in the life of our congregation, and now there's too many uh, to, to list or to name on a Sunday morning, and we give God thanks for that. And we also say thanks be to God that this is possible because together as a community, we come together and share in the giving of our tithes and offerings. We want to say a special note of thanks uh, to those folks uh, that are part of our community that do that each week and week in and week out or each month uh, in the form of an electronic gift because those sustaining gifts help us uh, together carry out the ministry that God is calling us to. At this time, we are uh, inviting the children during this next song, uh, grades kindergarten through fifth grade, uh, to meet up with Miss Betsy by the coffee stand uh, for Sunday school. Let us continue to worship God uh, as we, uh, in, in song.
3: Thank you, team, and good morning, church. The Lord be with you. you. Today, we continue on in our and series where we are kind of intentionally pushing back on some of today's polarizations and choosing instead to lean into some of the important and statements of our faith. And the text of the day today is Exodus chapter 16, where as you heard from Pastor Nate, God's people have been wonderfully set free from slavery in Egypt, and now they begin to wander around in the wilderness where they will be for a while, and out in that wilderness, they get to be hungry. Even hangry, if you know the term, Hangry is a term that speaks of our grumbling, mad, angry kind of hungry, and this is the state in which the Israelites are as we find them in the desert, and I invite you to hear the story. God ends up hearing their cry and provides for them a food called manna. This is the story of that particular scene. Listen into to the story from the book that we love. On the fifteenth day of the second month, after they had come out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. They said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. For there we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve us to death. The Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my teaching. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, They looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone... Thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the ones who gathered much did not have too much, and the ones who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, no one is to keep it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Each morning, everyone gathered as they had need, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. Verse 31, the people of Israel called this bread manna. It was like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, manna, what is it? That's what the word actually means. When you say it, you ask the question at the same time. What is it? This food from God got me thinking this week about an old product I used to enjoy called GAC. Do you remember gak? I think it's out of production, but this is a similar product to it, right? I think it's a bit like manna. Of course, This is blue, and it's not edible. But otherwise, the descriptions are sort of similar. There's even a little bit of seed-like texture to this particular stuff. And as I played with this stuff this week, it got me thinking about how manna is, for God, to the Israelites, an object lesson. It is something that God is intending to teach them with. And it was actually a tangible, tasteable, Visual reminder of something that God wanted them to learn. It was something for them to learn from, like the school of life. This stuff got me thinking about another kind of object lesson that is also kind of pervasive in the scriptures, and it is a yoke. I think the yoke actually is a similar image to this manna. Let me explain. You know what a yoke is, right? Yoke is a wooden beam like the one that I have behind me. It's used to place on the shoulders of animals to wrap around their neck in order to bind them together so that they can work together. This gets presented to us in a variety of ways throughout the scriptures. One of them is the basic farming purpose, right? Where you put this on animals and they plow a field. It is a tool and it is useful. It's still used in that way in the world today. It's also a bit of a metaphor, however, for slavery, where a yoke is presented as this kind of bondage, a heavy weight placed upon us, where taskmasters are whipping us. It is both a literal thing like the Israelites experienced in Egypt. It's also a bit of a figurative thing representing our sin, which is heavy upon our shoulders. The yoke of bondage is really like any kind of thing that presses down on us like a heavy thumb forced upon us. So there's that version of a yoke. There's yet another one in the New Testament where... About marriage, we are advised not to be unequally yoked. This is kind of a funny photo right there. You can see the little kid in the background. He's like, this isn't working, right? I actually uh, invited some of my good friends and his fiance at that time, Caleb and Rita, to put on a yoke as they were anticipating marriage, not to demonstrate the bad side, the bondage side of it, if you will, but rather to illustrate how yokes done well are a way of being on the same team, of agreeing to pull in the same direction, of always being with and for one another. And this leads us to the last way that a yoke is used sometimes in the scriptures, even on the very words of Jesus, where he says, Now take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden as light, and it will be good for your souls to do so. Yoke. It's kind of like manna. The both, are co- the both of them are coming together to illustrate for us what I think to be one of the lessons God wants us to get and that is the, the, the pairing of freedom and connection. Freedom and connection. I want you to put that in your back pocket, though, for a minute, okay? And I want to take you on a little bit of an imaginative journey about these kinds of things. I'll describe three scenarios. You decide whether you can relate, okay? Scenario number one is called infinite browsing mode. Infinite browsing mode. So it's Tuesday night. 9 o'clock. Most of the day's tasks are done. You've set your work aside. Chores are done enough. You've gotten your exercise in or skipped it, whatever. You've eaten your ice cream. Kids are in bed. You have an hour of freedom. And so you flip on the TV or your choice of streaming services, and you begin to troll for something to watch. There's a few good options out there, and you consider them, but you keep on searching in the hopes of finding something better, right? You watch a few trailers, you check your phone here and there every once in a while, and before you know it, 30 minutes have passed, and you're still stuck in infinite browsing mode. You've checked all the options, you've committed to nothing, so now you hurry up a little more, and you search a little harder, but eventually... You're just downright tired. You quit searching. You watch nothing, and you just go to bed. The pattern repeats in other areas of our life, too. Instances where we have this odd combination of two modern slogans. You know them. One of them is YOLO. You only live once, right? And so make sure you do the great things always, right? Don't waste your time on the small stuff. That comes alongside FOMO, fear of missing out, which then causes you to not really commit to anything in case something better comes up, right? These two come together, and we get stuck in infinite browsing mode, considering all of our options and committing to nothing. Can you relate? Scenario number two, a college freshman. So a kid goes off to college. Maybe you're the kid. Maybe it's your kid. Either way, you leave home and all of its previous structures. Maybe home was for you a place of wise counsel. Maybe home was a place of overbearing and unfair rules. Either way, when the freshman goes off to college, there is a newfound freedom, right? The the freshman is now free to pick their own circle of friends, to set their own curfew, to establish their own morality, to develop a new worldview. Now, for some, this newfound freedom is a great opportunity to grow, and they bloom where they're planted. For others, it's too much freedom too fast, and the train goes off the tracks. Maybe for you it's not college, but it's retirement. And now, all of a sudden, There's a new opportunity again. Wide open spaces, you get to craft a new self in a new space. In these moments of newfound freedom, our character is tested and revealed. Can you relate? Scenario number three, wedding vows. Wedding vows. As you know, some people anticipate a wedding day for a lifetime. Others, it's dreaded and avoided. Some step into their wedding day with great excitement. Others step into it with a healthy dose of nervousness. After all, wedding vows are not only happy, clappy statements, are they? When we make those promises, it is for richer and for poorer. It is in sickness and in health. And the commitment is not for as long as this is fun and convenient, but rather till death do us part right? It's a tall order. That's why the bride sometimes get cold, gets cold feet, or the groom sometimes faints. <laughs> but here's the strange thing about wedding vows and other high commitments. The experience is oddly liberating. For example, when you buy a house, you finally stop searching endlessly for one and you actually start living in one instead. Technically, your options are now limited, and yet you also have new freedoms having walked through the front door. Now you can redecorate. You can renovate. You can have company over in the kitchen. Similarly, if you have friends you have probably learned that while it's possible to have hundreds and hundreds, it's often better to have a few really good ones. If you play a sport or an instrument, it's more of the same. It's the very rules and the restrictions that actually make the thing worth playing, right? A sport is a sport because there are some guidelines. Without them, every sport degenerates into being rugby without sidelines. I could get tackled right now because someone's playing that sport. Same with an instrument. If you're musical, right, it is the kind of rules, if you will, of rhythm and tone that make it music rather than merely noise, My point is this, sometimes a high commitment, like a wedding vow, is actually liberating. Can you relate? Now take that back to the manna story, this great story of some food that causes the people to say, what is it? What is it? First and foremost, it's God's provision, and this is the typical answer of what manna is. The people were in need, and God provides. Thanks be to God. This is good news. And if you're in a place right now where that's the word you need to hear, then take it and start talking to God about that right now. You have permission to do so. There's a different detail in the text, though, that has caught my attention this week, and I want you to think about it with me. The detail is that manna is not only provision, but it's also a test, did you notice that? Verse 4, the manna is actually a test. And remember, the Israelites have recently been set free from 400 years of slavery. They are 45 days into their newfound freedom. Infinite browsing mode is a real option for them. They are now free to do whatever they want, to go wherever they want to go, to be whatever they want to be. But they're hungry. <laughs> It's a human thing. We get hungry, and when you stop getting your food from Pharaoh, food's got to come from somewhere else. So the manna comes, and it is a test. God sends it specifically to test if the people will follow his teaching. Capital T, that's what it is there. If they will follow God's teaching, the word is Torah, which is a word that means the word of God, like this book, and even foreshadowing the word made flesh, Jesus, who will be the bread from heaven, the bread of life for us. In this place of newfound freedom, God wants to test the people, and he wants to know, will they use their newfound freedom to live my way in the world, or will they choose to go another way? So God sends the manna, and it comes to them almost like a pack of microwavable rice, and it has a handful of instructions that they're supposed to follow. So uh, instruction number one, you must get up early to get it. Did you notice that detail? There's no sleeping in policy. The manna is available in the morning, and it burns away when the sun rises. And so you got to get up to get it. Now, to be sure, God provides wonderfully, graciously, but God does not place this manna in their mouths while they're sleeping, right? You gotta get up to get it. Personal involvement is required. Instruction number two says no hoarding allowed. No hoarding allowed, right? The instruction is to take only what you need. Don't take any more. If you take too much, it will spoil and stink. And they do, they take too much, and what happens? It gets all maggoty, right? Gross. Now, this instruction, number two, I think, is not only to spare them the embarrassment of being put on the TV show, Hoarders, which is embarrassing, right? I think it's also a very practical expression for them. It is a reminder to them, if no one takes too much, everyone will have enough. It's a social thing. And then there's one more instruction. It says, this manna is to be a daily bread, and the point is the dailiness. Okay? And then it says, think relationally. Think relationally. See Proverbs 30. It's funny. It has all these instructions right on the package. See Proverbs 30 for proper understanding. You know what Proverbs 30 says? The wise person there is praying, and they are saying... Two things I ask of you, O Lord, do not deny me before I die. Grant me neither riches nor poverty, but only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you, saying, Who is the Lord? Who needs the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The dailiness is a relational thing. We are to seek out God daily. Taken together, these instructions accumulate to be the manna test. And the question for them then and for us now is this. In our newfound freedom, in our God-given freedom, will we daily seek God for our daily bread or will we give our hearts to other things? That brings me to the and pairing from our text today. I'm going to use whiteboard to draw this a minute. Is this already up there? Okay. The and pairing, you left me a little treat. Now, how do I get rid of it? (laughs) Go away. There we go. (laughs) Shake. The and pairing, I hope you're noticing in the text specifically, but also in the scriptures from the very beginning of things and into the kingdom come, is that God has made us to be free and connected and that these two things belong together. If we pull them apart, we actually misunderstand both. The lesson of the manna is that once we are free, it's best to use our freedom for the sake of connection. Now, of course, there are some folks who will say, freedom, 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 so much so that we pursue freedom at the expense of connection. When we do this, we find that Freedom without connection is a recipe for chaos. It's a recipe for chaos. This is what happens when you have freedom without connection. That's what takes a community of known persons and causes it to degenerate into being a crowd of nameless faces where everyone is out for themselves and even against others. It's a recipe for chaos. In the scriptures, these very stories of chaos, where freedom is used absent of connection, the stories are told in Genesis chapter 3 through 11. The first one, you know, is the story of Adam and Eve, the story of the first sin. They use their freedom absent of divine connection. They turn their back on God, choose to do things their own way. They end up hiding from God. Read the story, you'll see they're hiding, and paradise is lost. Genesis chapter 4 is more of the same in a slightly different way. Now it's the story of the first murder, and it is freedom used absent of moral connection or even brotherly connection. Cain kills his brother Abel, and he justifies his actions with a question, saying, am I my brother's keeper? He presumes the answer is no. The answer is actually yes, and chaos results when we don't pursue it properly. Further into the story, we encounter Noah. Finally a good guy, right? Noah's a good one. We like him. He is actually described as blameless and as righteous. The bad news is that the whole world around him is going to pot. It's worse than things have ever been. One of the saddest descriptions in all of scripture. So Noah is having his freedom and using it well, and yet at the same time, It is absent of social connection, absent of social responsibility. The Jewish scholars of old called Noah a righteous man in a fur coat. A righteous man in a fur coat. I like that title. What they're getting at is that on a cold night or in a cold world, there are two ways to stay warm. One of them is to put on a fur coat, and you yourself will stay warm, but it helps no one else. Another way is to start a fire. And the people you are connected with will gather with you around that fire and you will be warm together. Noah is described as a righteous man in a fur coat. The whole world drowns. Perhaps that's why he gets drunk at the end of the story. Things didn't quite go as they should have. It's a chaos story. It continues on with another story, the story of the Tower of Babel, where again the people used their freedom badly and again, absent of connection with God and others, and it ends up ending in chaos, confusion, and the people scattered. You get the idea. Freedom without connection is a recipe for chaos. The alternate is not much better, however, because some might say, connection, 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 and even... Absent of freedom. Well, now we have a different problem, don't we? This is the recipe for coercion. If I can spell it correctly. Coercion. This is where free choice is eliminated and the relationships are forced. We know this because it comes to us in the form of manipulative bosses, helicopter parents, abusive relationships slavery, as the Israelites experienced, any instance in which there is connection that is forced rather than freely chosen. We even experience this when we have our, our, kid, our, our kids and we generate a forced apology. You've done this? We've done this, right? You, you have to say you're sorry, right? And so the kid goes over to the sibling and says, I'm sorry I broke your toy. Sorry you can't handle the fact that I broke your toy. <laughs> and other kinds of indirect insults, right? If it's not voluntary, it's not authentic. I think this is actually even the reason that God made us to be people, humans, rather than making us to be robots or computers. Robots and computers would do what they're supposed to do, but it wouldn't be by free choice, and machines cannot love. God has made us for something more Than that, and so this too won't do. We were made for not these things separated from one another, but rather to be free and connected. So it's Tuesday night this week, nine o'clock, and I'm just about to step into that moment of life where I can uh, find the empty abyss of infinite browsing mode, wasting my time. The phone rings. It's my in-laws. They're up in Ludington. They just hit a deer, and the car is totaled. They're okay. The car is not. Four airbags have gone off, and they are up in Ludington, standing yet in the middle of the road. Will you come and get us? This was, for me, my week's object lesson of this very lesson, how we are free and connected. Freedom without connection would say, mm, no. Uh-uh, I got infant browsing to do. You know, there's a whole lot of nothing that i got to (laughs) search. Connection without freedom would be that I have to do this. I am obligated. I have no real choice. But neither one of the case, right? Freedom and connection means that it is my honor to do it, to hit the road and get up there and spend good time together as we travel. It's a beautiful thing when it comes together in that particular way. And thanks be to God, they're okay. They're right there. Not to point at you. (laughs) The true story of the scriptures, and especially of the manna, is that we, friends, were made for freedom and for connection, not one without the other. The manna was intended to test and to teach this. And the lesson continues through the scriptures, even into the New Testament, where the apostle Paul and Jesus say these very same things. Bring that back if you would, Susan. Sorry, I'm going to talk about it now. Uh, So Jesus has this line that we love to quote nowadays. It's over on the freedom side. The truth will set you free. Yay, right? But that's not all he said. He said also, in that same sentence, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. That's connection. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. These two are woven together with Jesus. The same is true with the Apostle Paul. He starts over here with a great phrase we love. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's Genesis chapter 5. Yay, right? But if you keep reading, in that very same chapter, he goes on to say, Yes, you were made for freedom, but do not use your freedom for self-indulgence. Rather, through love, serve one another and he concludes by saying that the whole law is summed up in this that you love your neighbor as you love yourself it is freedom used for the sake of connection that we're really after in this particular case there's a word in africa we don't have an easy translation for it in english but the word is ubuntu ubuntu say it with me ubuntu The word literally means, I am because you are. The manna was God's way of teaching that lesson to the people. They could get that manna and say to God, I am because you are. And Jesus, when he teaches about putting on his yoke, he is also teaching us to love one another, a way of saying to each other and all of humanity, I am because you are. So the anthropologists go to Africa to do a particular study with some children. He brings with him a basket full of candy, and he puts it way over here by a tree. He gathers a group of children and sets them 100 yards away and lines them up. The instructions to the kids are whoever gets to the sweets first can have all of it. On your bark? get set, go. You know what happens? The kids grab hands, run together, arrive in unison, and enjoy the candy together. When the anthropologist, puzzled by why they did this, asks why they did it, the kids say, Ubuntu. Ubuntu. It's the lesson of the manna. I am because you are. We say it to God, and we say it to one another. That, friends, is the manna test. God has set us free. Will we now use our freedom to choose connection? The good news of the good book is that we are indeed free and connected. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.